Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guests are Tobe Johnson and Brett Eichenberger. First, I have a couple of announcements. Forbidden Knowledge News, always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, all podcast platforms. Check out Rockfin. This is where you get our premium content, as well as all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin for only $10 a month. You can also get a free account and get tons of free content. You just go to rockfin.com slash FKN plus to sign up or use the link in the description. Our website, ForbiddenKnowledge.news, also the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. You're going to find amazing podcasts from our community there. Today, I want to welcome Tobe Johnson and Brett Eichenberger. Tobe is the author of the Owl Moon Lab books and researcher of all things related to Bigfoot. With over a decade of research and his own experiences, he has dedicated his work to investigating the relationship of Sasquatch and the paranormal. He is co-producer of the documentary Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed, which is a groundbreaking two-part documentary series that focuses on Sasquatch witness testimony. Brett Eichenberger is an award-winning filmmaker with over 25 years of experience working in the film and video production industry. As a native Oregonian, he has been intrigued by Bigfoot since his childhood years, and this documentary has given him the opportunity to explore the topic in depth. Tobe, Brett, welcome. How are you both doing? Doing great. Doing great. Doing Thanks great. for having us. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, the topic of Bigfoot is quickly becoming one of my favorites. I didn't really mess with it too much in the beginning, but man, the high strangeness surrounding it now, everything I've learned, I'm all in. And we're going to be talking about your new documentary, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed, which features interviews from researchers and eyewitnesses with amazing stories and evidence, as well as historical accounts of Bigfoot and the significance within the indigenous culture. Now, this is both your first appearance here. Let's start with a little bit more about your backgrounds and what led you to this kind of research and ultimately do the documentary. So uh, my background is in, you know, more traditional narrative filmmaking and commercial filmmaking. And um, basically, I've been doing that for most of my life, you know, going on 25, 30 years, almost since I was a kid, actually. And um, Bigfoot has been something that has been just ingrained in my head being a native Oregonian since, I mean, it's as far as I can remember, going back to childhood. And so... Um, Knowing that, you know, we had the skills and when I say we have the collective group of us that made this film, we had the skills to tell this story in a cinematic way. Uh, we found an opportunity during the pandemic to, to go out and just do it. And we'd all talked about doing it for years. We had kind of found ourselves getting into the Bigfoot culture here in Oregon. And, and, and we'd met some folks such as Todd Neese and whatnot. Um, and so we knew that we had the connections to do it. And so um, we thought, you know, it's perfect time to do it. Let's go out and, and, and do this documentary and do it differently than what we'd seen before. And that, and that was the most important thing for us was to do something that had a, um, um, a different slant, if you will. It was more, more of a traditional documentary that we felt like we didn't really, it wasn't really out there, I guess you could say. And uh, what about you, Tobe? How did you get into to this subject? Sure. Um, well, without boring you about my background and school and jobs I've had, um, around 2005, middle of 2000s, uh, my son and I found a single footprint in the little town of Thurston, Oregon, which got us asking bigger questions about uh, mysteries in the Pacific Northwest. And it turned out that we uh, went to a church with a guy that made a documentary called Sasquatch about Bigfoot and followed up, uh, you know, pretty much the Roger, Roger Patterson and Gimlin footage and um, wanted to make a film loosely based on those experiences. But he, he swore by the existence of uh, the phenomena and I didn't ever find it difficult to believe, um, but it got me asking questions about how to find the phenomena or if it finds you, what an average witness is like, can they be stereotyped? What's the diversity of this phenomenon? And it's, it's a pretty vast diversity. 
Although I think after, you know, 15 years, I've kind of narrowed down um, how to get the best results out of the phenomena. And um, that's when Brett uh, approached me about this, uh, this property where we had really good results in a little town of Cottage Grove, Oregon, and the phenomena would present itself on the property. And um, as far as I know, it still is. <laughs> so it's, um, it all begins, uh, you know, with what I would call these extended experiencers, people that live with the phenomena coming down to their backyard, backyard Bigfoot. And uh, that's been my experience uh, as far as success rate of having these experiences. How did you do your research into these experiencers and uh, ultimately find out who you wanted to talk to and place in the documentary? So that's a good question. Um, like I like I was saying earlier, we got to know you know folks such as Todd Neese. We both Jill and I, um, the producer on the film and the writer on the film. Both her and I went to a, a gathering back in 2012. And like I said, we got to know Todd Meese and, you know, Peter Byrne was there. Uh, Ron Moorhead was there. And so, you know, we found their stories very credible. We found their research very credible. And so we started there. And what was great about that was we were able to build um, on that. We were able to build on their connections. And, and then about, I don't know, maybe two, maybe one or two months later, we saw this film, The Alien Bigfoot Connection. And um, there was a sequence towards the end of the film with Toby Daryl's story. And we're watching this going, we've got to, we've got to talk to these guys. You know, they're here in Oregon. And so long story short, we reached out to Tobe and um, Tobe has really been instrumental in connecting us with so many wonderful people in this world that uh, that have made massive contribu contributions to the film, and I think a lot of these people are fresh faces with a lot of great experience, a lot of a lot of great stories. Now, I want I want to ask this mainly for Toe, but I want to hear your answer as well, Brett. How has your idea of the Bigfoot phenomena and everything surrounding this has it changed or evolved since you first started looking into it or first gained interest in it? Yeah, it changed. Um, I'm wondering now if it didn't change me permanently at the DNA core. <laughs> it seems to have that way with people. Um, it not only changes how you view the small stuff in the world, because, you know, it's, it's such a temporal experience we're having here for about 85 years, all of us. And when you add the addition of a magical mythical creature um, existing just right outside of town, uh, yeah, that changes you. And so, um, you know, it's, it's been humbling. It's been fascinating. It's been at times a little bit scary, but for the most part, uh, people have scared me much more than this phenomena has. But um, yeah, it's changed who I hang out with. I mean, I, I would have never met the likes of you or Brett or well, I kind of really meant, has it changed your idea of what the phenomenon is, of what Bigfoot is, and, you know, mm -hmm. is it a, a lost hominid? Is it some kind of alien? Is it supernatural? You know, has, has that changed since you first started looking into it? It has, yeah. And I don't want to give too much away, but uh, I started in a world of looking at this as just um, possibly being something merely physical. And there's this whole other category that uh, surrounds this phenomena. Whether or not Bigfoot is supernatural or paranormal, um, I tend to think yes, and we can maybe talk about that. But um, for the most part, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a Sasquatch's world. And if they want to come hang out with you, you can't go looking for them. And that was something no one really ever told me. They have to come to you. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, what about you, Brett? Has your uh, feelings or thoughts about this phenomenon changed since you start, uh, started looking into it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and, and I think it's the whole idea of phenomena in general has changed because what's interesting was when we first started this documentary, it was originally going to be like the three pillars of the paranormal, Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts. And come full circle, you know, almost two years later, we're starting to realize that it's all connected. 
you know, and that kind of teases a little bit on what Tobe was talking about in, as far as the paranormal is concerned. But um, there's too many paranormal sightings that go along with your traditional Bigfoot sighting that we can't dismiss. Um, it would be unfair to dismiss it, screen the data to, to dismiss it. Now, with that being said, this documentary doesn't really get into that. It touches on it slightly, but we ended up with so many um, interviews with paranormal aspect to it after the traditional sighting that we've split this up into two documentaries. So the next one will be coming out concentrating solely on that. That will be coming out next year. Um, so yeah, I mean, it radically changed the way that, that we see the world, our collective group of filmmakers see the world, um, how we experience the world. And, um, you know, I mean, it, that, that changes every day. It grows and grows every single day. Now, I understand that there's some actual witness footage in there. Uh, would you be able to maybe describe some of it or maybe some of the most profound stuff that, that you've seen or even uh, some of the most pr profound stories that you've been told about the Bigfoot uh, without giving too much away? Yeah, it, we, we got to a point where we were about 90% done with the film, maybe even 95% done with the film. And... Um, uh, both Jill and I went down to Vernal, Utah to PhenomenaCon just this last summer, this last September. And uh, there was a, a local man by the name of Daryl Wilson that was talking um, at PhenomenaCon. He was kind of like in a side room. He wasn't necessarily a featured speaker, but he was a, um, or a star speaker, I guess you could say. He was more of a kind of a featured speaker. And, you know, he was new to this and new to talking about his experience. And so <clears throat> I went and attended his talk and, He's a little rusty, but, you know, he put together a good show and he talked about his sighting up in Western Alaska about eight or nine years ago. And what struck me about that sighting, there's a, there a multitude of things that struck me about that sighting. One was that it lasted a long time. It lasted close to 20 to 30 minutes. Two, he had a, um, an eyewitness with him that was a, an Alaskan state trooper, a trained observer, um, and they watched the Bigfoot, the hairy man is what they call it up there in Western Alaska. They watch the hairy man for, you know, in binoculars close up, um, like biologists, you know, observing a moose or a bear in the wild. And um, it was an extraordinary sighting. And to top that, Daryl uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer and had six to eight weeks to live. Um, and so he's up there enjoying life and just living life to the fullest um and observing this bigfoot um and then fast forward a couple of years later his daughter has almost the same sighting from a plane and she had her camera with her and i'm just going to leave it at that <laughs> but nobody's nobody's i don't think anybody's really seen anything like this and it's it's definitely out of the more traditional pacific northwest type bigfoot experience mm. um it almost to a certain extent uh, asks more questions than it answers. Um, but uh, I think that Daryl and his daughter, Rachel are two of the most sincere people that, that you're ever going to find who have had these encounters and sightings. And they were both non-believers before. Uh, anything to add to that, Tobe? What was the question again? <laughs> uh, just what was your favorite, maybe some of your favorite stories or uh, aspects to the documentary that went into it? Um, you know, he just talked about the sure. footage. Is there any other footage that sticks out for you or anything like that? Well, like Brett said, there's some new voices and new faces in this documentary. And um, one of the voices that we talked about and faces is uh, that of Doug Meacham, who's a hypnotherapist out of. Portland, Oregon, and uh, works with people that have had traumatic experiences of one kind or another to recall those. I think he actually even has a stage show, if I'm not mistaken, where, where he has an audience and uh, quite impressive what a man can do as far as hypnotherapy. And as far as I know, he's the real deal. I've seen him uh, work before with people that claim they were abducted or had Sasquatch experiences. And um, you'll see him interact uh, well, I don't think there's any footage of him interacting, doing hypnotherapy, is there, Brett? But he explains it to a degree. Not in our film, though. Yeah, he does explain it to a degree to where, um, 
you know, you as the viewer can understand just, <clears throat> you know, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, when you have an experience, a traumatic experience, let's say like seeing a Bigfoot at close range, it's gonna go into a category for safety's sake. It's, it's so you can function for the rest of the other things you need to do. However, it's so preserved and, and so finely tuned that if you have the right tools to access it, it's way more detailed than just your average memory. And so watching Doug work, uh, which I have, uh, to see him be able to fast forward, rewind and stop it like an old cassette replay, you know, player and bring out this memory, the smells, the moments that happen there. Um, and to watch the people relive this, uh, to have somebody like that is so new to this topic of, of talking about Bigfoot. And, um, you know, it's such a pleasure seeing all these new faces in here because other Bigfoot uh, documentaries haven't had these voices or faces in them. And um, it's, uh, it's going to be a real surprise for a lot of Bigfooters. That's great. Uh, and now I know you've focused on specific areas for this documentary, but uh, do both of you think that this is a global phenomenon that these, whatever these beings are, exist across the planet? Chubb, you want to take that? Oh, I think so. Um, the different versions of uh, Bigfoot, as far as description and names for the, the countries that they're in. But, um, you know, I'm not such a Bigfoot nerd that I, I don't know the exact names and continents and <laughs> at the given time here. But for the most part, this is a, a global historical phenomena where you can trace back the giants of old all the way to, you know, you know pre-scripture even. And uh, why is that? What's going on with uh, the historical evidence that talks about these shunned ones, we'll say, or the wild people that just live right outside of a community or village or town? That notion persists uh, through statues and reliefs and paintings throughout the Renaissance period. And um, all one really needs to do is look. Now, and you, just to, and just to, oh, I, I was going to say, just to extrapolate on that, um, you know, I, a lot of people have come up to us and said during the, the course of the production of this documentary, they've said, so there's there's more than one, right? It's not just a Bigfoot. It's not just a, a Bigfoot guy that gets around. And I said, yeah, actually, there's more than one. Not only that, but there's been sightings in 49 of the 50 states. The only state they haven't gotten to yet is Hawaii. <laughs> So, um, you know, and, and I think on the global scale, there's been a sighting on every continent, but at Antarctica. Um, so they're out there. They're, they're definitely out there. There's different, it, they're just like people, different species, different types, different sizes. Um, but they all have a, a mysterious to them. I love it. I mean, even the Mojave Desert, which is uh, going to be a very tough one that you could find, um, you know, a hybrid primate roaming the, the desert lands of Nevada, um, Arizona, Utah, but absolutely these, uh, these are fabulous sightings that most people don't follow up on just based upon the vastness of the desert. But um, it's, it's almost unbelievable that you could have something living out there like this. Now, Brett, you said this is going to be a two-part documentary. I mean, is that just because of the, the amount of information going into this and the amount of witness testimony? Correct. Yes. Um, we, you know, it was, it was always our intent just to do one film and um, our first rough cut was over five hours long and we didn't know what to take out. <laughs> and so, because it, it, it's all really, really important. You know, um, we feel like if, if people would, would take this subject matter seriously and we feel like they will in this format, um, they need to hear these stories. They need to see, into the eyes of the eyewitnesses, you know, and I think there's an emotional component that, that really comes through in this film. And we're going to see that in the second documentary too. And there's going to be some, some wild topics, you know, um, not for, for those of us who are interested in the paranormal, but, you know, we are hoping that this documentary becomes a little bit of a bridge to the skeptics out there and, and um, maybe the hobbyists, if you will, or the people that have a fleeting interest in the paranormal that, that, you know, take a look at this and really start questioning the reality in the world in which they live. 
Uh, anything to add to that, Tobe? Well, no, Brett surmised it pretty well, but, um, you know, it's, um, we live in an interesting time where we have disclosure almost, you know, once a week of one sort or another based upon UFOs. And this, uh, this parallel between these two worlds, you can't help but uh, see the connections because of the phenomena seem to happen in the same hotspots. But I think that kind of uh, download or, um, you know, the government coming up with a type of Sasquatch disclosure, I think we're far away from it because we're far away just as researchers from the way they talk and the way they organize. We're not organized like that community at all. It's, it's too much of a gimmick still. Um, so this documentary though, like I've been telling Brett since day one is that, um, you know, there's a, there's a shift happening with this documentary. I mean, I saw how honest and earnest they were as filmmakers and the, and the artistry behind telling the story. And so I think this documentary will be a part of that. And I'm not just saying that because I'm involved with it. If I was just a fanboy of it, 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 will, it will help them move the metrics. Now, when it comes to the witness testimony that you had, is there any consistently recurring themes amongst all of them? Uh, anything that happens across the board? That's a great question. Um, kind of going, I'm kind of scanning through all of them in my head right now. I mean, similarities uh, between a few of them, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's consistencies with all of them. You know, the fact that, that people aren't prepared for the size, um, the, the other consistency is I know what a bear looks like, and this was not a bear. You know, and yeah, that still seems to be the uh, the quick response by a skeptic. Oh, you saw a bear, you know, there's shadows, a light play. No, no, no. These are intelligent people. You know, we've got a police officer. We've got a, a, a guy in his late 40s that's been hunting since he was 13 years old. Um, there's that consistency. There's, there's also a lot of... Um, uh, you know, this gets gets into our second film, a lot of strange feelings, a lot of feelings of people that from people that say that they, they know that they're not wanted there. Um, they'll get this kind of like hair in the back of the neck standing up and they'll kind of feel and or hear voices in their head saying, you got to go. We don't want you here. You need to leave. Um, that tends to be fairly consistent. You know, this kind of foreboding feeling that's not always consistent. Um, you know, some of these sightings can be very, very traumatic and very frightening, and some of them can be positive. Um, it just depends. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's just, it's just kind of really the magnitude of this being is what sticks out between, I'm, I'm sorry, sticks out within every single one of the, the eyewitness reports. Cool. Anything, uh, anything to add to that one, Tope? Yeah, um, going back to the earlier point, I, you know, this phenomenon, it changes the individuals that have these experience in a way that um, bonds a group together uh, or individuals uh, like Daryl and I, who are weaved throughout the story of uh, Flash of Beauty. And this bond is very similar to people that, that uh, have, you know, been in war together or something like that or experienced a miracle together. And um, of course that shapes and, sh and shifts you, but uh, beyond that, it, it, um, the consistency is these people's priorities have totally changed um, to a degree that it affects their daily lives. It affects um, where they work, how they work, uh, what their marriage is like. And to see a documentary get into those delicate areas and be able to kind of bring that up and out of people is, it's just so important because it's never been done and uh, it gets into, you know, this whole other category of the supernatural or let's just call Bigfoot, you know, um, a mystery. And these mysteries uh, have different layers to them. And this is just one of those layers, but um, you see that consistency throughout that these individuals are absolutely 100% affected you watch them relive this moment in a way that um, is hardly ever done with, 
careful editing and uh, that's been, you know, I haven't met a lot of these people actually, to be honest, in this documentary, very few of them, in fact. And so um, I can tell though who they are. I can, I can sense and feel what they're reliving. It's all like we already know one another and there's very few words uh, that need to be said once we meet one another. Now, let's uh, get into the, some of the paranormal aspects as much as you can talk about. Uh, first, why did you call the documentary A Flash of Beauty? So that title came from um, an interview that we did with this, this guy that's based down in um, Bandon, Oregon. His name is um, Stan. And Stan is um, kind of a collector of Bigfoot anecdotes. And he was talking about how you'll see one. And in the flash of beauty, they're gone. And we thought, you know, we kept coming back to that when we were doing the title, we were trying to come up with the title. We kept coming back to that and thought, you know, that's really what it is for the majority of the eyewitnesses. There it is in a flash of beauty and it's gone. And typically, you know, these sightings, the traditional like driving down the country road sighting, it's going to last one to maybe five seconds. The longer extended sightings are really rare. And so um, it also, the, the idea of Flash of Beauty also kind of pulls in the whole context of um, the mystery of the universe. And, and it really is a beautiful universe. And when you start getting into um, some of the things that some of these people have seen, um, whether it's, it's Bigfoot related or UFO or anything else, there is a, there is a, a sort of a mystery in the beauty. Um, and there's also getting into the character of Bigfoot themselves. There's also a beauty in um, who these beings are. We've found many, many stories of humanity with them, uh, empathy uh, with, um, I mean, vast intelligence with senses of humor, curiosity. Um, and so that's really kind of how we arrived on that title is we wanted to kind of have something that, you know, not not only did it attract attention, but it kind of encompassed the whole the whole picture. All right, on anything to add to to that about the title, Toe? Well, so often when you talk to a witness, um, they will use the word "flashed." It flashed by. I saw a flash of black. I saw just a glimmer, a glimpse of it, and so it's the perfect description for the typical type of sighting that there is although there is the more atypical sighting and flash of beauty <laughs> takes on a whole different connotation. And we can talk about that later, but um, yeah, generally, um, you know, it's, it's these short little glimpses at a, at a magical world that's supposed to not exist that uh, people describe. Hello friends, Chris Matthew with Forbidden Knowledge News here with a special announcement. We are starting production on the Forbidden Documentary. That's right, we're breaking out the camera, lights, microphone, and hitting the road. This is going to be much bigger than your average conspiracy doc. It's going to be a conspiracy docu-series. And we're going to take all of you on the road with Forbidden Knowledge News, as well as all your favorite guests that have appeared over the years, authors, researchers, scientists, whistleblowers, contactees, fellow broadcasters, and some of you listening as well. The topics will include paranormal, ufology, historical conspiracies, hidden ancient history, current conspiracies, spirituality, cryptids, and much, much more. We're going to visit sacred and spiritual sites and places of high, high strangeness and hopefully visit with as many of you along the way as possible. This project is currently completely self-funded and we're asking for your help. We are going to jump into this head first and hopefully the universe and maybe some of our amazing audience will help a bit. If you'd like to get involved with the production, email me, ForbiddenKnowledgeNews at gmail.com. And if you would like to help by leaving a donation, we have a buy me a coffee or PayPal option. You can go to supportfkn.com or click that PayPal link in the description. Any amount is greatly appreciated and will help tremendously. And if you make a donation through supportfkn.com, you're going to also get access to select chapters from Corey Hughes' upcoming book about the JFK assassination. 
Be a part of an epic journey of discovery and truth with the Forbidden Documentary. Right. Now, let's kind of, like I said, as much as you can without giving too much away, but I want to break down some of the paranormal aspects that people have reported. Uh, Of course, I've done plenty of Bigfoot shows with Bigfoot researchers, and I've heard your traditional. Of course, it disappears into nowhere. The tracks just stop. Uh, They've been seen with orbs. They've been seen around UFOs. Uh, They've been seen coming in and out of portals. Um, all these strange, uh, things that seem to connect it to either paranormal or something otherworldly. That's what really draws me in. And maybe we could start with, uh, is there anything besides what I just mentioned that you learned or or heard about, uh, during this process? Brett, you go ahead. That's a, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything that you didn't mention. Um, not off the top of my head. I, I think that uh, one of the one of the surprises to me, to us, I guess, the collective filmmaking group of us, um, was the gifting aspect. Ah, yeah. Like and the gifting aspect is really fascinating to me. And, and originally it was going to be in the first film, but we we decided to put it into the second one because it becomes so personal. And Tub's going to have a lot to say about this because this is going to be a major um, storyline in the second film, but how they're able to um, really kind of get into your psyche and, and match the gift to your personality is not like opening a present from your parents on Christmas morning as a child. I mean, it's really, really interesting. And, you know, I hate to even use this word, but sometimes it's even cute. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. It. Right. I think Toad would agree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about the gifting and what, what we didn't expect to discover was we're dealing with playfulness here. We're dealing with something that has a desire to communicate with us. I mean, it's like it's like the shy little boy that lives next door that, you know, rings the door he wants to play he rings the doorbell and he takes off he's too nervous um so that part of it was really endearing to us um and at the same time you know there's folks out there that would be kind of like well you know they're reading my mind and and leaving me things that i was thinking about the other day or whatever you know that's kind of odd but but it's never in a benevolent way and that's what we loved about it so i think that that's going to be um as we get into that detailed um in the second film, I think people are going to really, really love that. That's great. That reminds me, I was uh, scrolling through Facebook, and one of my friends, I wish I could remember her name, was showing pictures of this gifting, but it was actual like rock sculptures of, I, she believes it was supposed to be a um, kind of like an effigy or something of her, uh, you know, that made out of rocks. And I found it fascinating, and it, it did look, it looked cute, like, like you said. Uh, anything to add to that, uh, Tobe, about gifting? Well, yeah, beyond um, the experiences that you talked about that reach into the supernatural, gifting is one of those things. But as Brett was saying, these are gifts of significance, gifts that have to do with individual people. And so we talk about, um, we try to coin this new phenomena with new words to try to understand it and get along with it. And one of the things that my girlfriend said, is almost like they tailor made a suit just for you. And so this idea of the Taylor effect where something is so Taylor designed for a specific person, a specific time and a specific place. And there's so many examples of that from this property in Cottage Grove where um, you would just be astounded at the accuracy of the delivery and the jokey nature behind, you know, some of the behavior that would be exhibited um, for example, one of the stories I tell on the podcast, so I don't feel like it's saying too much, is that uh, the property owner's wife, Cindy Adams, who is a doubting Thomas about the phenomena, especially the fact of the amount of activity that was happening, uh, said, well, if they're real, why don't they leave us um, a chunk of gold? And I had my 14-foot camper parked on this property, 
And it wasn't more than a couple of days later that we're standing on the patio looking out over my camper. And on top of the vinyl awning was a gold object sitting on top of the vinyl about seven feet up. And uh, so we had been used to objects arriving on top of this elevated surface. And our tradition was that someone would catch it, you know, stand at the edge while I lowered the awning and roll in. It was kind of like a, a game of prices, right? Or something crazy, like a little carnival fun thing. And uh, down rolled a, uh, an old vintage rifle casing, brass, not gold, but brass. And it was those kind of little things that just pointed to my, at least in my mind, a sense of irony, a sense of humor, you know, they were being playful with a desire and a wish. I think they knew exactly what she was asking for. But if that story, which, you know, it, that story is true, but for the people listening, that sounds incredible. But I want you just to believe that that story is true for a moment. If that story is true, it changes everything about what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with something in between the layers of humanity. They've elevated way beyond that because yeah. they've got irony. And if they have irony, they have a whole host of other human attributes just like us and far beyond us because they've managed to elude us in great numbers because these are not rare. The Sasquatch are not rare at all. Um, my buddy, Rich Germo, who used to be a, a sheriff here um, for in LaPush County in Washington State, he told me that in an interview, and I just like, he's absolutely right. I mean, they can't be rare, not with the amount of people that Brett easily discovered on his own. I mean, he's probably had so many interviews that he has to turn down at this point now that people know he's making a proper documentary. But these are not rare things. It's rare to get someone to talk about it. That's the problem. It's rare because it is such a gimmick and it just sounds so ridiculous to say you saw one, but it's so much cooler than Bigfoot. So much cooler than Bigfoot existing. Yeah, and I think you're uh, spot on with how advanced these beings are, maybe not technologically, but spiritually, consciously. Uh, I believe they're highly advanced entities, and you, earlier you alluded to the maybe uh, some kind of psychic communication that these beings emit. Uh, they give you feelings uh, that you shouldn't be in certain places, and I've even heard reports of actual psychic communication with some of these entities. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, what do you think about that aspect of it tope or that's your go ahead oh, okay Tob? about um <laughs> them getting in your head <laughs> the communication um, like sure. uh, you know we're speaking yeah. to how advanced these are if these mm -hmm. guys have psychic communication i'd say that's pretty you know pretty advanced yeah well you know there's signs for things that push you out of the woods um, or push you out of their, their zone. It could be something like infrasound. That was my first step in 2005 is understanding that, you know, killer whales and lions and elephants can all use infrasound to basically stun and immobilize and mess with the, their prey. And so that was a great explanation. I get that. But the problem is, is that, Whatever is happening here messes with individuals. It can single out individuals in a crowd and decide who's going home or who's going to throw up or who's going to get in the fetal position um, or who's going to start drinking again. And I don't know of anything natural in the woods except one thing that can do that. And I've watched this happen. It happened um, around 2012 up in the woods after we found this significant trackway in Cottage Grove, Oregon. And I watched grown men cry um, and say they have to get rid of their guns. They don't want me here. I can't walk a path, you know, I can't walk past that rock, that kind of stuff. And so if that only happened one time, then I would just say, well, you know, obviously these people have undiagnosed mental disorders and because I could go, I could, I could still hike. I could still do what I needed to do. But no, 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 this, this happened more than once. And it's a common thing. I mean, if you can get the security of the witness and actually unfold all of their experiences, 
you will hear, the, hear these stories time and time again. And maybe the severity of them will change, but generally they always have the upper hand. In fact, it makes me think there's no coincidences in the woods at this point, which is so crazy when you think about the Patterson-Gimlin footage, but maybe that was a gift. Maybe that was just a straight up like business card, like, okay, let's get the ball going here. I don't know. Yeah, that you know that the look that thing gave was kind of like, hey, take this one. <laughs> you know, that that'd be great. Uh, anything to add to that, Brett, about the communication or the feelings that people get out there in the woods? Yeah, so we we do get into that into the second one quite a bit. Um, we like I was saying earlier, we had a, a there's a story about these uh, these two boys, two guys, older guys in. Um, Southern Oregon who had an experience and with a, an adult, the juvenile and the rest of that night, they were out there camping. You know, this is North of the California border by just a few miles. They're out there camping all night long and really felt like they were getting these messages in their heads to leave. Um, so we're going to talk to them a little bit. Um, we also um, interview a, a woman named Tara Harris who talks about um, her psychic connection to them, which is super interesting. And Tara's story is phenomenal. Tara's also based in Cottage Grove. And she did, she never had an interest in Bigfoot. And she would go out into the forest to do clearings for spirits. And one day she turned around and in the flesh, he's standing right there. And Tara kind of said under her breath, oh, wow, you're real. Um, and she was able to begin a psychic connection with them. And that's really fascinating how that develops. So, um, and I, and I understand that that happens quite a bit, um, across the country. I mean, Tara is definitely not, um, the only one that has this ability to communicate psychically with the, with Sasquatches, with Bigfoot. So it, it's, it's a real phenomenon. We haven't had it happen to any of us yet but we've definitely had the, the strange feeling, the, the vibe, if you will. Um, and one of the times that we were filming Tara in the Owl Moon Wilderness, um, that was one of the thickest kind of feelings that we've ever had. Like there was something observing us within maybe, you know, 100, 200 yards. So, so we've, we've kind of, you know, even in the short amount of time, we've, we've, we feel like we felt it a little bit that just kind of energy in the air. That's that psychic connection. You know, it's a little bit like um, a tuning fork and you have to have the right person with you to kind of get that connection going. So, you know, I've had friends along the way that, um, you know, I probably would have never hung out with on an average day, but activity would start when I would go out in the woods with this person and it would happen for a whole host of other people like, Oh, oh they're a Bigfoot magnet and everybody would say it. And this Tara Harris is one of those people. So I'm not surprised that, uh, you know, that happened and the stuff that you were able to capture on film uh, while in the presence of her um, is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think this is a generally benevolent uh, phenomenon. And uh, I've heard very few accounts where people are um, reporting aggressive behavior from these beings. Um, I've heard maybe one or two, like, kind of sort of not attacks, but maybe they lunge towards them aggressively. But uh, overall, they seem to be just pretty benevolent, wanting to do their own things and maybe warning you not to get too close at times, maybe being a little protective. What are your thoughts on that? Either Toad, way. You, want, you want me to take, you take, take it there? And I'll... Okay. <laughs> the question is, is, do I think that they're straight up benevolent? Mainly benevolent. Or, or is there a duality? Maybe some aren't so benevolent. You know, what are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. Well, they have a, they have a humanity to them that's uncomfortably close to ours. And so you get that spectrum. And I think that's why people straight up disappear periodically. I mean, you have rogue people in this world as well. Um, I don't think they're all Harry and the Hendersons. I think that's a foolish idea. Um, there's other things that happen in the woods besides Bigfoot that are just as strange. 
and they seem to all coalesce. Um, so maybe Bigfoot gets the blame more often than they should. Um, but certainly given the fact that they, they have such the ambush upper hand, I could see there being things that, uh, you know, are super nefarious, if not downright evil. Um, but that's no different than us. And um, I think there's probably consequences. I've interviewed witnesses that say, oh, there was a, a rogue one, a gal named Connie Gwinnup, uh, with, who had an extended experiencer, talked about her rogue Bigfoot and how there were consequences from another clan for this rogue individual and how, you know, that basically that rogue Sasquatch is not going to be a problem anymore because they took care of it. Uh, so unbelievable stories, but um, not every flash is a flash of beauty. Some of them are flashes of straight up terror. And uh, we've got those interviews as well. Right on. What do you think, Brett? I think, I think they're just like people, you know, and, and, and we look at human beings and the atrocities that human beings have, have committed over the history of modern humanity. And, um, you could, you could easily say that we are pretty malevolent ourselves. Um, and you know, the reports that we've heard from, from folks, um, talk about clans, you know, basically living near Mount Adams that are more benevolent than the ones that live near Mount St. Helens, which are more malevolent and so on and so forth. Um, there are certainly beyond a shadow of my doubt, certainly benevolent, ones out there that want to know more about who we are as humans. They want to teach us. Um, they want to be a part of us, be a part of our culture without giving themselves up, if you will. Um, so, you know, in my opinion is, is that they're, they really are just like people. I mean, they can be as, as good or as bad as we are. Now, going back to their communication, uh, we've had reports, like we said, of this telepathic type, but also of kind of strange chatter amongst themselves and different noises that uh, that they appear to be making. You think they have a uh, spoken language as well? 100%, absolutely. Um, it seems to me that, that for the most part um, – you know, it might be a situation where some in some areas of the country, you know, speak a language more so than others. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is just because of all of the documentation Ron Moorhead has gotten in the uh, Sierra Nevadas with the Sierra Sounds. And we talked to Ron in the film and people in the Bigfoot community are very familiar with Ron and his work. Um, but people outside of the Bigfoot community who we are also trying to reach, I think, are going to be awestruck by those recordings that Ron got in the upper Sierras. I mean, we're talking way out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, these are not tourists. These are not people monkeying with them, so to speak. Um, and then we talked to Scott Nelson, who is a former cryptolinguist, uh, naval cryptolinguist. And Scott listened to the recordings and he breaks it down. And, and, he, and he's like, you know, whoever, whatever is, is saying, making these sounds has got an enormous lung capacity. Um, and the, you know, this is not something that a human being can vocalize. So yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, there's going to be a lot of folks out there if they've never heard these sounds, they're going to get the chills because, um, you just kind of know innately, I think when you hear the chatter or the samurai chatter, they call it, I think you just kind of know that it is some sort of a language. It's, it's pretty fascinating, but the other question is, is if, you know, if they can talk to each other, you know, through telepathy, then, then why have a language? Um, so I don't know. It could be, it could be more of a clan kind of a thing. It could be, maybe they're trying to talk to us. Who knows? It's, it's a giant mystery. Anything to add to yeah. the language aspect, Tobe? Yeah. Um, you know, I often wondered whether or not they use language when they're in their full physical state. And when they're down here, they have to abide by those principles to a certain degree until they do whatever they do and go away. Those are little flashes of beauty, right? And so um, I think whenever you do hear language, which we are fairly certain that we have language recorded from the Al Moon lab, um, 
that they're in a group of one or more, there's at least two. And um, I think that's what may be required for communication to, to begin. Um, recorders seem to be the way to go. Uh, cameras are a no bueno for them. We don't have permission to get cameras out and deploy them for, for whatever reason. Yeah, you can get uh, happy accidents and, you know, but they, they seem to interact and communicate and, and, and show off to some degree with the different types of sounds that they can make, including language with a recorder. Um, we, we have, you know, evidence in this book that I wrote uh, where you can actually listen to the audio as you read along, or you can watch the video that we shot as you read along through these QR codes. And in um, some of those points, the, the Sasquatchers are right there picking up the recorder or, um, you know, near me when I'm sleeping and I have the recorder outside and there's just no hesitation. And so whatever that comfort level is between those two devices, I don't know. Certainly there's a vocalization and there seems to be a language and it does smack of a language as soon as you hear it. I mean, when you listen to Ron sounds, you hear um, intonations and inflections. In fact, one of these things is called a terminal ending, which is <clears throat> you listen to Ron sounds and at the very end of it, you'll hear a decisive uh, huff or a, a stamp of approval that I made my point and here's this huh sound. That's called a terminal ending. Now animals don't do that. They, they just have their instincts to go off of, um, not to the degree with these morphine streams where you can sit there and study them as being some kind of language, which is what Scott did. But the, uh, the research has not even been started on Bigfoot language. I mean, it's only Scott alone out here really running you know, by himself with, with only Ron's sounds to work off of. And that needs to be more of a, a decisive uh, effort. And there probably is, I mean, in some underground bunker, but we don't know about it. Yeah. Do you think that this is um, going to be more acceptable in mainstream science anytime soon? Have you seen any other um, further interest in it or uh, people kind of lessly scoffing at it um, in, in recent years? I personally think yes. I think I think that, um, and that's one of the reasons why we decided to do the documentary was the the soft disclosure that's coming out with UFOs. Um, it wasn't that long ago when UFOs were a complete tinfoil hat thing, and that's changing big time, and it's changing rapidly. And um, we want to ride those coattails, you know, because people are really concentrating on, um, you know, are we alone in the universe? Well you know, we're asking the question, are we alone in our communities and our wildernesses in our forests? I mean, these, um, these beings are, could be our cousins, you know, most likely are our cousins to a certain extent, but you know, that opens a whole nother question. I mean, are these things more important than extraterrestrials, you know? And so I think that, um, there's such an abundance of evidence and credible eyewitness accounts um, that I truly feel like Bigfoot is a stronger case almost than UFOs. Um, just because of the close proximity uh, that people have had to these things um, and the amount of sightings that happen. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I definitely think that, that, there's a, there's going to be a major kind of a sea change coming in the next couple of years. I, I see it happening now. Uh, yeah. anything I mean, if, if that kind of uh, possibility with the UAPs and uh, you know, them go, going before Congress and having a open dis discussion about things like um, uh, whether or not they have off world materials or secured off world materials, um, how to handle uh, UFO 
discussion boards or vlogs and whether or not people that have UFO discussion board or vlogs or YouTube channels or websites should, should have to abide by certain rules to talk about UFOs. I mean, they're taking it very seriously to the point that they want to punish people that aren't carrying the narrative for them. And um, I don't believe that it's a truthful narrative myself. I think they've known and know much more than they're saying and are lying through their teeth. The same way I do with about the Bigfoot stuff, because they have to know. You have an undocumented illegal uh, immigrant running through the woods right now uh, that has eluded you and taken over your resources, doesn't have a permit. Um, He's you not know, paying possibly taxes. Not paying taxes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, this is this is real forensic data that has been collected through the years. I mean, one of the people that uh, is in the documentary is a guy named Henry Franzoni, who is um, a straight up scientist out of Washington and studied Bigfoot for, you know, most of his adult life, but got paid over 5 million bucks to go study Sasquatch underneath Mount Hood um, with a guy named John Glickman. And these are, these are hardcore scientists that were funded by, um, you know, the government to do it under the auspices of studying deer or mule deer or something, but they're looking in the Bigfoot evidence. So that's a known study. Um, I wonder how many people right now in the Bigfoot community are been co-opted, you know, that have other agendas and are sitting in these conferences, taking good notes, you know, basically um, trying to steer a narrative. Um, I forget the guy's name in the UFO community that did that for a living, but Doty? Um, yeah, Doty. Yeah, um, right. And caused that poor guy to commit suicide. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, so is something like that being done in the UFO community? Well, people are going to think I'm crazier than they already do. But yeah, I think there are people out there that are agitators of this community and trying to steer a narrative. Now, maybe one of those narratives is Bigfoot's a killing beast. Don't go in the woods. We don't want you to flee to those natural resources. Um Hey. And uh, I think there's a good reason why they would do that, especially nowadays, since they're trying to keep people in cities and tiny little homes. But um, yeah. regardless, who in our community is pushing a narrative that there's a scary thing out in the woods? And maybe we should start looking in those areas and say, OK, what's actually happening here? You know, is this what the witnesses are saying most of the time? In my case, no, they're not saying that this is a big, scary um, you know, undocumented illegal immigrant in the woods. They're saying, no, these things are leaving. They're fleeing. They're running as fast as they can in a flash to get as much distance between us and them. And that's the narrative is that uh, they come in at night, typically do their thing, which is very gamesmanship, either by leaving you something or playing with something. And I think the government knows all these details. And um, so, yeah. Yes to your question. I think they do know. Yeah, I've done. I've had plenty of discussions about the infiltration and deception going on in the UFO community, and that's a whole nother show. Uh, but I think you're spot on with that. Now, before we get into how much does the government know about Bigfoot, do you think there is any possible connections to ufology or uh, uh, beings from space or different dimensions or, or anything like that? My, my answer to that real quick is I'm not sure yet. So I'm going to pass it on to uh, Tobe. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a crisis. And so, you know, I, I used to say it's like going into the Star Wars bar. You never know who you're going to meet when you go out Bigfooting. It could uh, manifest with a strange light. It could manifest with something walking behind. Oh, yeah, I think you cut out there. Um, yeah, you cut out that oh. for about five seconds or so. Sorry, am I back? You're back. Yeah, yeah. You, okay. We we last we last had you in Moss Eisley. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Moss Eisley. Yeah. So as I was saying, you never know who you're going to meet at the Star Wars bar, and I think it's a lot like that when you go bigfooting. So um, it could be a lot of cross pollination with um, other what I would call paranormal type beings, be it ghosts or UFOs or lights, 
is that connected? I don't know. Maybe these window areas have, um, you know, entries and openings and exits at certain times. Someone explained it to me like, um, you know, a flower blooming. It only does it during a certain time of year. It only does it during a certain time of day. And as that flower blooms, things can come and go. But um, yeah, there's a, there seems to be a connection. Uh, I want to talk about uh, an aspect that recently been brought to my attention a couple of years ago uh i think it was tony merkel i had on who who spoke about this kind of um bigfoot men in black group where they're not like your traditional men in black but they they, they're more kind of outdoorsman type and they they immediately show up for people who have seen bigfoot sightings and i'm wondering if this is a thing if you've heard anything about this or your own information on government uh, knowledge about bigfoot or even involvement uh things like that what do you think so I don't want to get too deep into this because we have a, um, a pretty significant section on this in the film and the documentary. And I don't want to give too much away, but um, we have a we have an army intelligence analyst who is willing to come on camera so long as we um, put him in disguise and disguise his voice. And to answer your question, yes, absolutely, hundred percent. And this gets right back into the, to the government controlling these things um and he gets into reasons why um that made a lot of sense especially for for the pacific northwest um yeah it's it's happening i don't question him we vetted him um did background checks on this guy before we put him on camera um it was important to us everything that we put into our film we wanted to make sure that we felt was legit so yeah it it's it's strange it's real um, and they're out there. The mercenaries, the snipers are out there. No question about it. I don't have a smoking gun. I mean, what Brett has told me um, has kind of been enough for me because I suspected it to be true, but uh, I don't have a smoking gun. I don't have any contacts. I mean, I have uh, some prior military that are interested in the subject matter have other friends that are like over here at Fort Lewis in Washington that say it absolutely doesn't exist. That Fort Lewis doesn't have any Sasquatch on it, which I've, that's crazy to me because I've heard all sorts of good uh, Sasquatch reports from that area. But um, yeah, I, I don't have any information on that. I wish I did. Right. Well, man, I can't wait for this. Uh, for the audience, when and how can they get this? So Flash and Beauty is going to premiere on Tuesday, May 31st. Um, it's going to be on a bunch of different VOD services. Um, right now, it's available for pre-order on Amazon and iTunes and Vimeo. Um, but if you've got a favorite, you know, Vudu or Google Play or whatever, um, chances are it's going to be on those platforms. And it is going to be available, as far as I know, worldwide, Um I've already seen it for sale in the Amazon UK store. So um, if you're not in the United States, don't fret. You should probably be able to get a hold of it. And uh, if you can't, visit our website, contact us, bigfootdoc.com. Um, and if you've got stories, send us a story too. We'd love to hear it. Right. On, also, man. we have a, a world premiere. I'm actually here in Forks, Washington, usually home of vampire and werewolves. But um, Sasquatch <laughs> the Legend Gift Store Museum um, is having an event and uh, Flash Beauty is going to have a world premiere on the 28th and 29th. What time again, Brett? Is it 6 p.m.? Yeah, 5.30 or 6, both nights. Uh, yeah, be here at 5.30 uh, p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's a bunch of speakers here as well. It'll be a good time to uh, Come up with your own theory. There was a recent sighting just down the road a couple of uh, days ago, I think, off of 101. And so um, world premiere here in Forks, Washington. Right on. Well, I'm going to have to have you guys back on when you can give away some more secrets, man. This was great. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to the premiere. And um, any ideas on when the second one will be coming out? Or you, you got to wait and see how this one goes. Uh, I mean, it's going to come out. That's about a you know, the best I can tell you, um, <laughs> right. we're actually under contract to deliver it. So it's, it's definitely going to come out. Um, 
we're aiming towards uh, 2023 right now. Um, we know that people are going to be anxious to see it, but we want to make sure that there's plenty of time for people to see the intro, if you will, Bigfoot 101, kind of, um, before the second, the second film comes out. Great. Well, uh, either of you have any more um, links or sites you'd like to talk about before you head out? Any websites, social media, all that good stuff? If you want to skip ahead to part two a little bit and learn about the Al Moon Lab, um, my book's out. It's called The Al Moon Lab, The Paranormal Experiment. Uh, you can find it anywhere books are sold. And like I said, it's, uh, it's a it's an experiment and an experience in itself because it has these QR codes embedded in it. And so you just take your phone and it takes you to the actual day where that chapter is talking about. So as we find the tracks, as we find that rifle casing I talked about earlier, you can actually see these things uh, unfold on camera or hear the audio. Great. Well, guys, that was fantastic. Like I said, uh, I'll have you back on for sure in the future. We'll get some yeah. more secrets out of you guys. Great. Yeah, Thanks, we'd love man. to come back. Awesome. Well, that was fantastic. Until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening, and we'll be talking again Sunday. We'll see you then.